My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, but I'm also a fellow pilgrim and disciple and worshiper with you, and um, I get the privilege of being able to worship with two groups of people every Sunday, and I love that. And I was noticing in our first service that a lot of the songs that we were singing talked about seasons of dryness and seasons of wilderness and seasons of uh, difficulty. And Leah's prayer just now about the fact that we are oftentimes uh, burdened people um, has been sinking into me lately. And it's actually what led to this series that we're going to take on. And it's about finding margin from some of that and finding rest, kind of reorienting our lives maybe so that we could be less burdened people. And we're actually going to focus something we haven't done, I don't know if we've ever done it here, focus on one passage of Scripture for eight weeks. Now, the reason we're doing that is because this Scripture is so rich and so important that we didn't think we could do justice to it in a shorter time. And I'm often feeling at the end of a series like we should have spent a lot more time on that. So I'd like to encourage you to come as often as you can this summer. We're going to be dwelling in Exodus 20, pressing into the fourth commandment. And we're going to start that today. So you picked a great day to be with us. So I'd like to invite you to read along with me, if you would, by taking out your Bible or opening up your phone app to your Bible, Exodus chapter 20. So the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, the 20th chapter, Exodus 20, which is a list of all of the Ten Commandments. We're just going to focus in on that fourth commandment, Exodus 20. And I'm going to start with verse 8, but before I read this, I, I like to pray for you and let you know that I'm praying always that the Spirit will come and speak and overcome whatever burden you feel or whatever dryness you feel. And this is the prayer I love to pray for you. The Lord be with you. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner, residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. Okay, so we're talking about getting some breathing room. So the first thing we're going to do is practice a little bit of breathing. Okay, and we're going to do this by having you breathe in for like a five or six count, and then hold it for five or six, and then breathe out. Breathe in through your nose, hold it, and then breathe out through your mouth. Okay, everybody ready for this? Breathe in, and hold it, and breathe out. How's that feel? I love the way that feels, so we're going to do it again. Okay, everybody, breathe in, and hold it. And breathe out. I love that. Under normal conditions, we don't normally think too much about our breathing. But there are certain circumstances in which there's a lot of attention uh, paid to this. I have a picture of one of those. Do you recognize what this is? Yeah, that's Mount Everest. And uh, you can't probably see the details in this picture, but all along the ridge leading up to the summit of Mount Everest, there is a, a bunch of people. 
And this is a picture that was actually taken a couple of weeks ago when I was on the top of Mount Everest and climbing. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated by this and often thought I would like to climb Mount Everest, even though I know I never will. One, what's happening this year is that there's a very short climbing window. So there was almost 800 people who were supposed to climb Mount Everest this season, and they all had to climb within a couple of days. And so what they said happened was there was a traffic jam on top of Mount Everest. And because of this traffic jam, it took a lot longer for people to get to the top than they anticipated. It would normally be 16 or 17 hours. It was taking them 20, 21, 22 hours to make this journey, which is a problem because the air on top of Mount Everest at 29,000 feet is so thin that you can't metabolize the oxygen. So you can't be up there very long. Even with supplemental oxygen, which almost all the climbers use, it doesn't help enough so that you could survive at that altitude for very long. They call this the death zone because the air is so thin you cannot live there for long. And so far this season alone, 11 people have died making this climb to the summit. And almost all of them died on their way down. They have been working to achieve this lifelong goal of getting to the top of Mount Everest, and they didn't realize that as they were pursuing this goal, it was killing them. And by the time they worked their way down, they did not have enough oxygen and their bodies were not able to breathe the thin air, and so they died. So far, 11 of them in the last couple of weeks. This got me thinking... Do we live in a death zone? Do we live at a pace or under pressure or live in such a way that the air is so thin it won't sustain us? And do we even realize this? I have a picture for this thing that I've been wondering about. It's this. Is the way we're living squeezing all the life out of us? Squeezing the juices out? squeezing the good stuff out. And is this happening even though we're maybe not even aware of it? And it seems to me that there's maybe a couple of ways that life could get squeezed out of us. One would be the long, slow squeeze. You know how life gets sometimes? It slowly amps up the pressure so that over time we're getting squeezed tighter and tighter. The pace of life speeds up little by little, so pretty soon we're going faster and faster. The burdens of life weigh us down so much so that they're getting heavier and heavier. The stress presses in on us so that we find it harder and harder to breathe. Anybody ever been there? Okay, let's take a little breath right now. Okay, everybody breathe in deeply, five. And hold it. And then out. Boy, doesn't it feel good to get some breath? They say, I don't know who they are, but they say that we don't usually breathe deep enough. We need to breathe deeper. Everyone, one more time. Breathe in. And hold it. And breathe out. The second way that pressure comes sometimes to take our breath away is in an instant. Something can happen in our life to derail us, to knock the wind out of you. 
something unexpected to our well-ordered lives, and pretty soon we find ourselves struggling to catch our breath because all the air has been sucked out of the room. Anybody ever been there? So I'm not sure if it matters if our breath has been squeezed from us gradually or if our breath has been knocked out in a hurry. When we can't breathe, it's bad. We need to catch our breath. No breath means no life. So this summer, what we're hoping we can do is we're hoping that we can learn to breathe more, to breathe more deeply. We're hoping that we can pay attention to margin, to white space, to the places in our life where things get squeezed all the time, that we can address this squeeze, that we can recover Sabbath, that we can remember Sabbath so that we can flourish. What we're hoping we can do over the next six, seven, eight weeks is we can do this. Now, discussions of the Sabbath usually center on rule-keeping, and they're usually laid out in a kind of moralistic fashion so that we say, here's the things we can and cannot do. I don't know how many of you grew up in a tradition kind of like the one I grew up in, but here's the tradition we grew up. There was a couple of things you could do on on the Sabbath, on Sunday. Now, we call Sunday our Sabbath because of the resurrection. This is what you could do on the Sabbath. You could go to worship, and you could take a nap. Those were the two options. And in our tradition, we went to worship in the morning, then we napped in the afternoon, and then we went to worship again at night. There was a whole bunch of things we could not do. We actually had a long list of things we could not do. You could not go out to eat. You could not go to the swimming pool. You could not buy gas. You could not go shopping. You you couldn't do anything that was work for you or that made somebody else work. So in this system of rules we had, we could not go swimming to the pool, but we did talk Dad into letting us go swimming to the lake because there's no lifeguard there. That's how the rules work. That's how Sabbath is usually thought about. But listen, Sabbath is not primarily about keeping rules. Sabbath is about becoming a whole person. And it's actually about restoring the world to wholeness. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's about establishing rhythms that allow us to be who we were designed to be and allows us to engage the world in wholesome ways. So the Sabbath is about life and about flourishing and about rest and about worship and about justice and about community. It's about all these things that make life worth living. And it's about discovering margin. It's about discovering that space that we need to breathe. Margin means space, space in a day when our lives have become 24-7 running, when we're constantly doing something. Margin means not living in the death zone, but finding breath. So I want you to reflect for just a moment about your very own life now, how you live your life, the pace of your life, what do you do? Is there something in your life that either because of the pace of it, the speed at which you're living, or because the pressure and the stresses of your life cause you to run and feel weighted down 24-7? Think about your own life. 
Do you have margin in your life? Or maybe a better question is, do you have enough margin in your life to really flourish? So what, and, and if I evaluate my life, I immediately come to the conclusion I don't have enough margin, constantly short of breath. So what we want to try to do is we want to try to create breathing room. We want to try to create space for us to flourish. And I'm going to use one more passage this morning to help us get at that. And it's the passage in Ezekiel 37, which kind of starts with a little bit of a gruesome scene at the beginning. Listen to this. This is from the Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now, we don't know how these bones got into this valley, and we don't know exactly what was the thing that squeezed the life out of them, but Ezekiel is walking in the middle of all these bones in the middle of this valley, and it's death, right? Dead, dry bones. Was death the result of a long, slow, gradual squeezing, or was death a moment of tragedy? We don't know, but does it matter? The life has been squeezed out of these bones. And God then asks Ezekiel an intriguing, kind of an unexpected question. He says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And my response to that question is like immediate. No, of course not. That's not the way it works, right? When you've got dead, dried up bones, they don't come back to life. Once the life is squeezed out of someone, it's over. Uh, Ezekiel's response is maybe a little wiser, maybe a little more politically correct. Ezekiel says, well, Lord, only you know, can these bones live? God makes a promise. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. When life is squeezed out of us, when we feel dusty and dry and weary and burdened, what we need is we need to breathe in the breath of God. This is what Sabbath is all about. It is about margin to breathe the breath of God. Listen to the difference this makes in the valley of dry bones. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up a vast army. What difference would breathing in the breath of God make in your life? 
This is what we want to explore all summer long so that we can discover a little bit of breathing room. And what we're hoping to do is to design some space right in our worship time together to do this breathing and maybe give us some chance to practice that and then hopefully carry this out into the week where we can continue working on this breathing with the hope that as we learn to enjoy this breathing space, we will discover more and more margin in our life and that will bring us flourishing. So the first time we want you to work on this is right now and I'm going to play this little song for you. As you're listening to the song, I want you to think about your own life, think about your margin, and think about what difference it could make for you if you had a little bit more breathing room. And when stuff doesn't go quite as we plan, that's a good chance for you to just breathe in and then hold it and then breathe out and they'll, they'll get it for us.
God, we give you thanks for the good gift of life and forgiveness, and we ask that you'll rescue us from the stress and the clutter and the toxic behaviors and toxic choices that squeeze our life. And we thank you for the gift that you give us in Jesus of new life, of abundant life, and we desire to enter into that, and we thank you in your name. Amen. As we come to this table, we celebrate remembrance. First, we remember that Jesus did come and offer his life, his body broken, his blood poured out for us to give us the gift of life. We remember that. We also come and we abide. We have communion. Abiding is like a branch that lives in a vine and draws life from that. We get life from this moment, this space, when we come together to this table. And then we also come because we have hope that this little bit of juice and this little piece of bread is a pledge or a foretaste of a great feast that's going to happen one day when we will all be together as a community sitting at a table. We'll have all the time in the world to behold Jesus face to face. We're looking forward to that day. And the invitation to come to this table is for anyone here today who has put their trust in Christ and you've been forgiven. We don't come because we've earned it, because we've done anything to deserve it. We come because it's a gift and... 
We'd like to invite everyone who's received that gift to come join us. On the last night when Christ was with his disciples, he took up the cup and after he blessed it, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. He took up the bread and he said, this is a new covenant of my body broken for you. He said, as often as you drink from the cup and eat from the bread, you do it in remembrance of me. Today we're going to invite you to not feel any pressure to hurry up here, but to sit and continue to rest, continue to breathe deeply. But when you feel like it's time for you to come forward, we're going to have a station way over here on the right, one here in the middle, and then one over here on the left that's also got gluten-free items. If you come up the outside aisles and down this middle aisle and then return down those side aisles, that'd be great. And I'd like the elders to come forward now and prepare to serve us. Stop. 